Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. So I went back and started working on my map to which I present to Jim uh, to much criticism, like most of this world building that we've done. Um, and I've kind of had a few epiphanies and we discuss how to work through those. And then a quick side note, um, there was a couple of times where I mentioned that I was having trouble drawing the map and trying to figure out what things on the map should look like. Jim had an idea of um, adding a couple of YouTube videos of how to draw maps, uh, especially for fantasy worlds. So I'm going to include those in the show notes, but we didn't get to talk about that uh, during this recording. So I journeyed to the map and the map said it was good. No, so I spent um, a lot more time than I was expecting to on this map, uh, filling in details and trying to build just you know what the terrain would look like. Uh, and so we'll go over what I did, and then I'll go over kind of the things that I ran into, if that's uh, all right with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so the ones that I concentrated on the most, and again, this, uh, I'll post the map in the show notes, so anybody who's listening who's not currently driving who wants to look at the map as we talk about it, you're welcome to. Uh, if not, you should probably wait till you go back. Um, Bells Pro being that, uh, that area that's like the, the highest concentrated of wealth, I thought, all right, we're going to go to the, the part of like putting up walls, and now there's bridges uh, that bridge from certain areas um, throughout the rest of the island. Um, and Oglad, I've made it more forestry. There's some like hidden little lakes and ponds that are kind of scattered throughout. I've stretched the, the mountains out a little bit more up and down. Um, uh, if you look over in Westbridge, uh, there's like some very faint lines and that's set to signify, uh, just kind of like a barren wasteland of like just dirt. Um, and you know, um, it's kind of like that just no vegetation whatsoever it's just very barren um and then i kind of got to the point where i felt like i was having star wars disease where i was like oh well i have to have um it has to be cold over here i have to it has to be a wasteland over here it has to be a wetlands over like i got to that point where i was like why am i putting in every ge like topographical um type that there is in the world that we know in this tiny little island. Well, it's not tiny, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's like the size of fucking America. Yeah, it's pretty big. But I I, got, I kept going like, oh, well, I got to have desert, and I got to have oh, I gotta have a swamp area. And I was like, this is getting silly to me. I don't know why it feels silly to me. But I don't know, because that's how it is in Star Wars. It's like, oh, there's a planet where it's all desert. Like, oh, and then we have another planet, and it's all oh, snow and frost. Okay, like, I gotcha. Yeah, like, that's why I kept, I started feeling that way. And I even went to the point, I was like, well, I need a spot in the world where, uh, because we talk about this, these quote-unquote ancient aliens a little bit in the first episode, uh, who, you know, part of the people in St. Longs are worried about them coming back and reclaiming the machine. Um because obviously they don't know where the machine came comes from. They just use it. Uh, so if you look in the lower uh, right hand side, I built like um, like these weird like stone statues. I was like, oh, this would be a cool thing to signify. Like, oh, this is the 
those aliens, then this is their signal or statuesque of them. I was like, that kind of be, that would be an interesting thing. But like, I felt like I was just putting shit down to be putting shit down. And I wasn't really building anything around it. Like, except for the things that I, I've already created. So like with St. Lance, like it's, they're completely surrounded by mountains. That's the whole point of that region. Bell's pro That's the, the high end area wealth. So they're going to have like the nicest of the nice. Everything is going to be completely manicured. You know, they've got like this kind of fancy wall up and these more ceremonial bridges than, you know, actual like uh, with bridge and waterway, that kind of thing. West bridge, um, you know, it's, it's very barren looking like there's no like structures that stick out. There's no like mountainous areas. There's no grassland. There's no water. And I'm like, okay, all of that stuff makes sense. And when I started playing around with the other regions of the map and I was like, oh, I'm just putting stuff to put stuff like there's no story here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yet. See, that's to me, that's okay. Because you've kind of decided like you've got these rather large kind of provinces or city states, whatever they are. Um, I mean, Bell's Pro looks as if it's about 400 miles wide by 800, 900 miles long. Yeah. So that's that's a big area. That's, you know, California or something. I don't know. Um, and so you've got several of these large areas and you've got story for a few of them. And a few of them you're like, oh, you know, maybe story seed. Sure. That, that's okay. You've, but you're, if you plant the seed then you better be prepared to water it and grow it. So you've got well, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight seeds that are really untended to as of yet. Right. So that's all good and well. And um, the names, the and one thing I think I said last time that's just important to stress, just as important to stress again, is that don't be afraid to change things. I see that you're not, and you're you're already changing a few little things here and there. Um, plus, I mean, you wildly changed your map, um, right. so th- you've got the right idea. So if if Afra later on you decide that whatever the original little seed you had that planted there didn't take, that's fine. Change the name of it, even do ev- like do everything to scour it off the map, or even you know what, redraw your map so it's not on there. Like, it, you know, there's all kinds of ways to deal with seeds that won't grow or that you don't feel like tending to um, in the end. So right. don't worry about those things now. We can trim that stuff back later or, I mean, because right now what this is, um, it's not available for player consumption. This is a work in progress. Right. So that's yeah, all good that's... and well. Okay, sorry. That's all good okay. and well, yeah. So... A few of the epiphanies that I had when I was doing this was that one. I felt like I was just putting things to put things. And it reminded me again, I think I've said this every episode since we've been doing this world building is like building everything in succession. So it's like if I come up with a region, what is the the story behind that region? Then I put it on the map. Okay, now it reflects in the rest of the world. Then I move on to the next thing. Uh, For me anyway, that's I think that's a personal thing for me uh, to keep that going. Um, the other thing which I already knew was, is I am a not, I am a terrible drawer. I am not an artist. (laughs) Um, but the other thing I realized was like, oh, obviously I can see these things and you can kind of guess what they are. If you were just looking at it plainly, um, you know, outside of playing the game of this world that it's created on, 
And it got me thinking, like, I need to sit down and look at other hand-drawn maps to see what they use to signify mountains, what they use to signify water, what they use to signify forest and foliage and that kind of thing um, that makes a little bit more common sense than just me drawing puffy clouds on things and like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that, that's forest. That's, those are woods. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I kind of got to thinking was, uh, something that you actually just kind of, uh, talked about a little bit in terms of like changing the name of the area or redrawing the map where it doesn't exist anymore. Um, when I get to the point of like, okay, we're playing in this world. This is the map of the world. This is the game. And then the players don't like it. Like the players don't like the map. They don't like the world that I've created. Um, maybe they're like the game that we're playing in. But so how do you combat something in the sense of one existential dread of, I just spent hours of my time building this and now nobody likes it. And two, how to correct it to a point where both me and the players are satisfied. I would challenge you to think of it this way. Um, let's say you're playing in my game. And so far, you played in things that um, were fine, right? You could say, oh, well, it was at least fine. Sure. Or cool or whatever. You know, however you felt about it, it was fine. But let's say the next thing I came up with, let's say you see this dragon's claw, the one I'm working on right now along with this this program. So mm -hmm. you see the dragon's claw and you think, well, that's a really cool map. But then you play in it and think, this really let me down. The map was so cool looking and uh, when you told me the little story about it, it sounded really neat and now we're playing in it and it has really let me down. How would you as a player think that you would deal with that what do you how would that feel to you or what would you think how could that be made better from a player's perspective ask yourself that first and then think about well what do you want to do you want to make that player happy right as a dm right. so you're you're definitely you've got that perspective that i do not i don't have the player's perspective very much i mean i do but i don't um i'm a terrible player I've said it time and time again. I tend to be DMing in my head while we're playing. Um, but I like to play on occasion if I can. So you've got that perspective. Try to dip back into that and you know use that player's perspective. What are the things that are heavy when I'm playing in this game? and Or what are the things that I think are you know, vestigial? What could be cut away? Um think about those kinds of things and you know that's how you're going to get that feel we were talking about um, last week anyway is by um, kind of making it your own or you know what's different about mine and this is just another way another handle on that another tool in your shed to be able to do so so I guess I don't know because Thinking back to some of the games that I've played in your world, like, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I guess I've never really been to the point where I was like, oh, this is just dumb. Like, this is stupid. I don't like this. Like, I don't think I've ever felt like I've, there's been parts in games where, um, um, when we got to like a certain town or what, perfect example, uh, when we were playing this last, uh, Man, I really wish I could remember all the names of your games. 
this last one where I was playing the um, the the the, uh, the the elf, the princess. Um, oh, Rise Zeratus. of the King. Uh, yeah. World in Turmoil. If I'm remembering correctly, we walked into a town that was basically desolate um, because either a plague had just gone through or um, something had just gone through and there was like the, the roads were like littered with de- uh, like dead bodies. And um, I think it was right before the water fell out of the sky. And we were walking around and like because of whatever happened, like nobody wanted to talk to us because we were outsiders and this terrible thing just happened. And the last thing they want to do is talk about this terrible thing. And I remember sitting there thinking like, like I get it. Like I get like some shit just happened here and we just missed it. And now nobody wants to mess with us because of, you know, they've got quote unquote more important things to deal with. But like, I kind of felt um, like I was just waiting. I was just waiting for something to happen. Does that make sense? Um, Sure. And you know that it's easy to kind of fall into that. I feel like I'm, and the group that I'm playing in now, um, as well, one of the groups I'm playing in, I, I sort of feel that way as well, but I, I have to look back and challenge myself and say, um, the DM has given me plenty of opportunities to say what I might want to do. And he's presented me with a lot of options, things to look at, um, and you know, that's something that you have to do with each group is going to be a little different as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I try to mix my games up as much as possible, sometimes extremely successfully, and everybody's like, that was super cool. Or sometimes, yeah. like you said, it was, it maybe felt like it was like not I was quite like right. waiting. Yeah. So, well, I think, and maybe, again, maybe this is just me, but like, I feel like you do, you do a very good job at like tailoring certain events and situations uh, to particular characters for like, and again, this is oh, something that we've talked about. Yeah, exactly. And usually in my, like, sometimes I feel like if something's going on that I'm not like clicking with, I immediately think like, oh, this is for somebody else. I'm just going to kind of hang out um, and, you know, participate as much as I can, but this is for somebody else. Like, that's kind of how I feel, I guess. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, well, that's that's an interesting perspective. Um, I've never thought of that before. Mm. Because I think the reason I do spotlighting, this is kind of, this is a little off topic, but the reason I do spotlighting is because there are always going to be players in the group who are, a little weaker role players or you know won't speak up or often get buried in the conversation so i may not spotlight those characters who are really active in the story i may usually just spotlight um you know somebody who hasn't said a whole lot or somebody who only speaks up when spoken to right and so you know i'm i'm trying to to really get those players and it's usually about half of the group i feel like in larger games at least half of the group um and so i'll i'll even i'll even spotlight some of the other players that aren't necessarily getting buried but they're just more um more quiet to try to let the rest of the group go there's a lot of that that happens as well like well i don't want to hog the spotlight and if i notice they've done a really good job of that i'll spotlight them and kind of make them step up and you know kind of push them in one of those um 
you know, combat driven, uh, encounters that are really cool because it was meant for you or social encounters that are directly related to your backstory. But those usually generally only last an hour. I would say each encounter is about an hour ish. Okay. So, um, you know, and that might be part of the, it could be part of the thing where I tried a little too hard in that one to spread the spotlight around, or it could also be that, um, maybe just the style wasn't clicking. Okay. Well, so I, and not to keep harping on this cause you're right. This is kind of a, a, just an off tangent part, but I'm thinking back now, the other thing that we may not have mentioned too much, but there are a couple of players that we, uh, and our, the guild that we play with that are obviously seasoned. They've been doing it for a long time, but they're also, um, very, it's the nice way of putting it. Um, I was going to say pushy. I don't mean pushy. They're just very um, boisterous. Very boisterous. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and um, sometimes when that happens, I feel like. All right. But so, for instance, when Tommy's playing. <laughs> no, I didn't know we so, were going to throw names around. <laughs> we'll throw, it's fine. We'll throw Tommy around. He, he knows. Um I was going to say, um, yeah, he knows. He's, this is no, this will no, be no surprise to Tommy. Um, but Tommy is a very boisterous player. He's a very powerful player. And at times, as a group, he either we signify it or he just takes the role of leader. And for the most part, that's usually the best decision. Do you know what I mean? Like he. It's accepted among the group a lot of times. Right. Because he knows just, he knows the right way to do just enough to give just enough information to write, to ask just half the question. That's the right question for us, the, for the rest of the group to kind of like, man, it's, this makes me feel really bad for saying this, but like quote unquote, catch up to what's going on because Tommy just has a level of, uh, of intelligence of this game that I will never grasp. Like well, you got you as well. Like you guys just understand like above, uh, cause you've been doing it for so long. Well, there's, there's, you know, I'll, there is a lot of experience at the table and, you know, he has been in my game for 24 year, 23 years, um, in the same game world. And I would, I would dare say the world wouldn't be the same if he hadn't played in it, he's played that long and he's got that many NPC or, you know, tire retired characters that he's played that are now NPCs in the game world, influential NPCs. Right. So he's literally, and he even has one that has made immortality and has sh- helped shape the the gods, which that's happening with other other players have done that as well that have played for a really long time, such as Tim or um, one of Brandon's characters has now influenced the heavens, because I just want to honor those people who um, who got me, you know, started early with me. So I, I mm-hmm. that helps shape the world. So when that happens. Of course, he's going to have a deeper understanding because he has a character that he played that I understand so well. I made it a god, and that is now a portion of the reality of that world. So, it is it a little unfair? Like, no, not not really, because it helps create an ambiance. Because now it creates the game. Yeah, yeah. I now have a player who understands this part of my world so intrinsically that. As I'm storytelling, they can help narrate through the play of their character because right. they understand it so well. And that ha- that's what the beautiful thing about people playing in Dragonlance together or Dark Sun or Faerun is that 
it's easy to find people who know about it and we can all play together and that happens. That's one of the beautiful things about extremely popular game worlds. Um, but it becomes addictive when you've made your own that starts to feel like that. And I've got a dozen players who I can plug into any part of my world and they'll feel right at home. They'll understand. They'll know NPC names. They'll know faction names. They'll know all oh, these guys don't like those guys or you can get a ship out of this harbor easily or there's all sorts of things that they may know right. that help move the game along as a storyteller because they can easily play a character from there. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and I feel, and thinking back to like a couple, just a few moments of those games, I, there's been times where I was like, Oh, Tommy's characters kind of taking the reins. Like he's asking all the right questions and he's making all the right suggestions. So a lot of the time during those points, I was like, all right, so this part's just really not for me. Like I'm going to obviously contribute and I'm going to do whatever I can, but I am not, you know, I'm not going to be making any big decisions here because Tommy's not going to have the park right now. And I feel like a lot of that is just due to his ability to uh, play. His well, you're right. Play. You're right. Yeah. His, his ability to help shape the situation from a player's perspective. And that's something I think we should talk about maybe um, at length in another, another uh, session yeah. um, because, and I'll touch on it just momentarily here is that um, any of the players can be doing that. There's just a confidence in the suggestion of the ideas that he has. Um, so if you had portrayed just as vehemently or argued just as vehemently about something else and related it back to something that makes sense that your character knows about, it's going to be hard for me to resist saying, yeah, I'm a, a player pleaser right. as a DM. If you want to role play, I'll role play. And if you've got a good idea that I haven't shaped into my world... I'm going to let it fly. I'm going to help sew it into there. You know, there's lots of things that you've come up with and lots of things that uh, Nathan has come up with and some of the other players. But, you know, obviously mostly Tommy because he's in every sure. game and he is the most um, he is the most well-voiced, the most boisterous, the most um, assertive player. And his ideas are great. He's a smart guy. He comes Absolutely. up with really good ideas. Um, and and it's really, you know, my, my the thing is, my stories are not difficult to figure out. He knows what to look for. He knows what my stories are going to be like. Um, I do like to put mystery into the game. I do like to put revelations in there. Um, you know, plot twists, turn of events. Um, kind of gotcha moments or didn't see that coming moments. And he knows right where to look for those things because I have a particular style. And that's going to be, the more you play with me, the more you'll see those because I have a kind of a, a pattern when I'm writing certain types of games. And that makes sense. I mean, that's... Um, I think all of us will. Sure, yeah. But yeah, so, okay, getting back to what we were talking about. <laughs> um uh what were we talking about oh so yeah i mean you kind of already touched on it where it's i mean if there's just a part of the game that the player doesn't like it makes you think like okay well i kind of set this up for you it's not like 
you know, when you, you know, when I was, you know, searching out for players and I'm like, oh, what kind of game is it? And it's like, oh, it's a fantasy world. And there's this, you know, this kind of weird machine and thing. It's not like, all right, you come down for session zero and we're playing Care Bears or something. So it's like, so is there like a level of somebody might like that, though? There might be people well, out there. True. That would be the type that's of thing. What, that's not what <laughs> an hour group. Yeah. If we if I sat down and like the first encounter was Care Bears and you're playing like a grizzly fighter. <laughs> you're not you might not like that however right. with a different group and and i'll always go back and stress it's so important to talk in session zero is this game for you the more things you talk about your dming style or your preferences in session zero the more you'll curb any problems later on and that that's all about knowing the right questions to ask which um that's going to be another thing like like I think we talked about it actually in the first season of Session Zero a little bit, but I could literally spend an entire 30-minute episode talking about nothing but a Session Zero and feel like all I have done is given you good ideas that you can totally expand upon until the end right. of time. True. So, um, but yeah, so I feel like I don't think I will... Obviously, at some point, the map has to be done. Do you know what I mean? Like, at mm-hmm. some point, there are going to be things that happen in this world that would technically reflect the map uh, in terms of how it's drawn. But, I mean, I'm not going to draw a new map every... Well, I mean, I guess I could draw a new map every session if things are changing that much. But that was the other thing I kind of... The revelation that I had, I was like, obviously, there would be more than one map because I would think that if this island or this world is so old with this machine that's like, you know, burying under all of these tunnels and stuff underneath the, the these people's feet that clearly somebody would have tried to map where all of these vines of machines go. So I was like, oh, I can build kind of like a, a map on top of this map to show Absolutely. like... Yeah, and then I was like, well, shoot, that opens up a whole lot more uh, in terms of, like, storytelling of, like, okay, well, who drew the map? How accurate accurate would this map be? Um, can you trust this map? And then how that would play into the actual campaign session. Well, you can also draw ancient maps, which are really, really fun to do and incorporate into your story. Because as political affiliations shift and regimes fall and alliances fail... The map changes, at least maybe not the, the surface of the map, maybe not where the trees are, where the swamp is, where the ocean is. That may not change very much. Right. But where the kingdoms are situated and where they leave behind artifacts from the time that they were there, that could be very important in the game and be very interesting. The type of thing that draws people in to search out things like, well, why are these um, Ainaki relics? in Midia or why are these Midian relics here in Inoc Inoc. Right. Um that that's really interesting what happened. And then you have this old map that tells you, oh well this area here, there used to be a temple there. Well if we go there we might find this thing. You know, that's that's really a um kind of an Indiana Jones way to sure. look at it. And it's and it, and it's something that's easy to solve. Um because this is a game. This is not um a real life puzzle we got to stop ourselves and think this is a game we do want to get into combat we do want to have some of these um kind of iconic D moments which is those are very simple and pure moments 
Um, the more convoluted you make it, the less D&D it is. So you got to be careful. Well, you don't have to be. You can get as wild and dynamic as you want, but I feel like it's best to preserve some of that D&D feel of fantasy and um, of high fantasy, not just right. not just um, sort of fan- fantastic, uh, which is sort a very... Kinda. Yeah, it's, it's a very simple feel. So the more mystery and the more intrigue, the more plot, and the more political things you put in, you're kind of edging further away from D and D and into like this other thing. And that, but that's what's going to define your world. How much of that D and D, the pure, innocent, straight out of the player's handbook D and D, are you trying to preserve in your game world? Right. You need to let people know right up front. I have to do that whenever I have a new player. There's no such thing as goblins. None. There are no orcs. None. You'll never encounter anything like that. When people talk about goblins in my game, that's a children's fairy tale. Nothing more. You can say you saw a goblin or the thing looks like a goblin, but we all know like any real adult is going to laugh at you because goblins don't right. exist. And there might be all sorts of mythos about goblins, but you're never going to fight one. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Because I feel like um, having like those kind of hard staples in the world and telling and you know explaining those things up front, like um, like with my world, like I would explain the machine, you know, because the machine has such a big impact on this world. Um, And then obviously, depending on what time frame or whatever, uh, if Bell's Pro is at the the height of wealth and technology, then I obviously talk about that, you know. so, and I feel like I've asked this question before, but uh, you keep coming back to me saying that there's more work to do. So when do we get to play? Uh, like I said, man, you've got enough now. If you've got a little bit of history there and you've got you got your nice map, that, that was one of your assignments that we didn't get to touch on was your recent history of the world. True, yeah. Um, which might inspire um, ancient maps or previous maps of the areas. Um, right. which, which might inspire you to start looking at some of these mapping tools that we have available at our fingertips so that you can produce the map quickly and efficiently. Um, but you know, I digress. It's really fun to draw hand-drawn maps. All of the yeah. maps I have up until this point of the past year, they were all hand-drawn. And even yeah. when we went digital, we used my hand-drawn maps as the the um, actual structure that we that the maps were built around yeah and then imported sure. into digital and then so now we're just bringing it away from and the D yeah. 420 game world of um of uh karn or adventures in blood mm. um that now all the maps are going to be digital from now on because i actually invested in a really good program that i really like and that's what um the map that you see that's attached to the it was attached last week right to that right that program yep that is uh that was made on this paid mapping program that i have it was only like 25 or 30 dollars called wonder draft and it's extremely versatile um a lot of fun to use you don't have link to it in the show notes. It, it's really cool. Like I totally endorse it for free. They can have my endorsement. It's a great program. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I let one of my buddies use it who does all the digital mapping stuff. He does. He's a Photoshop guy, and he's really good with it. Mike, oh, okay. of course, you've worked with Mike. Um, yeah, I have. But I wanted to, you know, n- not take the power from him, but kind of some of that ex- added responsibility that he's he's done a lot of my mapping stuff over the past few years um, and start to take a lot of that on because I have a lot that needs to be done. So right. I have to take it on myself and start trying to tackle it as well because there's so many maps that need to be made. I think I have like 24 maps now that are like kind of core maps without repeats repeating any like lap over overlap i mean yeah like 23 24 maps so there's like five or six that everybody's seen a whole bunch of times right and then there's you know 15 more or so (laughs) that (laughs) i've been glimpsed upon in rarity because they need to be redone yeah they need to be redone like Man. I said, when I originally made maps, those areas where we where we gamed when I was really young, those were for me, so I could tell you how long it took to get from point A to point B. Right. So, okay. So to work on, we got to work on, and I've got to work on this too. Like I'm for the Dragon's Claw, I've got to work on this as well. I came up with some really cool stuff in flora and fauna. I got stuck in that and like found some really really neat stuff that i'm trying to link it all together um so it's really going to be in depth there of what i can do with some of the flora and fauna of the area yeah and the monsters are going to be i've already got a i've got it in my mind what i want the monsters to be like and which ones i'm going to use but i'm going to map that out as well as go in and do a little history and I, I would say that you might want to start doing the same thing. So for each region that you've created, you'll think, what is you know what kind of monsters are here? And you may right. want to draw those regions totally differently than your um, your political ones that you've got there. Okay. Some of them are going to overlap. You know, like where in my game world where Detrith are, they overlap all kinds of different kingdoms and continents. So their their terrain is different than other terrain but they only live in certain types of areas and so where are they and you start filtering all them in all the different monster types until you have like what makes sense don't put too many alpha type monsters in one area that that won't make a lot of sense Um, so these monsters we just pull them out of the book or sure yeah or if you've got you've got your ideas make sure you use a lot of your stuff um and if you have ideas for monsters you know absolutely think how powerful they're going to be and find something with that challenge rating and totally reskin it. Yeah. Describe the way the abilities work totally different. The way they look is totally different and it'll be a completely different experience as, as a player. Um, but it's the exact same stat block as an orc or what have you, right. you know, of course, after a while, the players catch on to what you've done, but it's not about that. It's about telling the story and capturing a feel in your world that the players enjoy loosening up and role-playing in right so i'll get some history and background for the last hundred years in my game plus i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to finish up my flora and fauna and uh monsters thanks for listening to this episode of the D 420 podcast for everything D 420 related check out dnd420.com if you'd like to reach out to us you can find us there on the website and on youtube at dnd420 Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, 
You can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.